2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 10. Um, please follow along in your own Bible on the screen behind me or simply listen as I read the passage. And it reads, Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far from the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Mars Hill and High Rock. Uh, how are you this morning? Amen. You can talk back to me. It's all right to say uh, good morning. We're, we're not going to put you out of the church for uh, talking back to me. I, I'm one of those preachers who enjoys, it helps me when I'm preaching if you talk back to me. So uh, if, if, there, if you hear something that's being preached in the word and it sounds good to you, you can say amen. So let's try it together. You can say amen. And uh, if you're uh, hearing something in the message and, and it hits you right in, in the gut and, and the Lord is speaking to you, you can say ouch too as well. So whatever uh, the Lord puts in your heart, it's all right to express that as we share in the word of God um, this morning. Um, just before we get started in the word of God this morning, first of all, I want to thank all of you um, who were uh, pressed your way out um, last week as we had um, uh, the snowstorm, our first big snowstorm here in the Boston area. And uh, even though the 
city was full of ice, and uh, they had uh, uh, made a parking ban all across Brookline. We had a great group of people who gathered together and, and came out last week, and so it was a great time of worship. Um, and so thank you again to all those who uh, made it out and pressed your way to uh, come out. Um, we are in uh, this season, and this time, uh, I want to remind us uh, of our season of uh, discernment. And uh, as was shared a couple weeks back, we've been going through, and uh, over the course of the next couple couple of weeks, we've been going through a, a time of dis, uh, discernment, and there's a discernment journal that's been provided, and so for those of you who have not uh, gotten one, we have this available electronically online, but um, this has been a great time, I believe, of um, listening and, and, and seeking the Lord, and the, the word of the Lord saying that if you seek me, I will be found, and, and I think one of the beautiful things about taking time intentionally to quiet ourselves and to say, Lord, will you speak in the midst of a situation that is in front of me, is that you see that God is continually speaking. God is God has never stopped speaking. And we recognize that there are a lot of other things that will cloud our ability to hear. But when we take time to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice, that God speaks, he speaks clearly, and he leads us um, as we're going along that path. Um, I've found it fruitful over these last, um, uh, uh, going in now into week three, uh, to take time out of our schedule in the morning and the evening to pray, to seek God, um, to listen and say, God, what are you saying? And um, a lot of times God will speak to us in, in a different manifold of ways. Um, a lot of times the way that the Lord speaks to me is by asking questions. And so any of you who have ever spent time with me, you'll notice that I ask a lot of questions. And, and the questions aren't meant to, uh, uh, um, to be downing. They're meant to challenge and to make, uh, meant to make us think and to reflect upon those things. And so uh, I pray that as the Lord is speaking throughout this season, however he speaks to you, some of you he might be speaking to you artistically. And so out of this season, there might be art that comes out of this. Some of you he's speaking through you um, just through... Um, uh, ways that you can put things together that will express what the Lord is speaking in this season. But uh, I encourage you, get a pen or some type of way to jot down what the Lord is saying, because if the Lord is taking time enough to say it to us, it's important for us to hear it and to remember it. And I believe also it gives us clarity as we move along the journey. As we think about this season that we are in as the life of our two churches, and uh, uh, we know that in, in the coming months, a, a time of transition and a time of new seasons and new beginnings in the life of Mars Hill and, and, um, uh, uh, and High Rock Brookline, uh, we recognize that as we are going through that, the word of God is a lamp or it gives us leading and guiding and direction. And as we share in the word of God, my prayer is not that you come on Sunday and just hear an exciting message. I mean, I pray I don't bore you. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I pray you stay awake. Uh, it's, it's all right if you, you know, a few times people have gone to sleep on me. That's all right. But um, I, I pray that beyond just an exciting message, I pray that the word of God would speak into our lives so that as we take the word of God, it will give us the path that will show us the way that the Lord wants us to go. And so uh, in that wisdom, uh, uh, Josh has uh, um, uh, 
uh, opened up this series on Exodus, and we've been studying the life of the children of Israel through the Exodus. And uh, I love the story of the Exodus because um, one of the things you'll recognize is that when you zoom into situations, a lot of times you think about what is the narrative of uh, things that are happening. But when you get the opportunity to zoom out from that, you begin to see what is used in biblical literature, which is what I call types and shadows. And so what we recognize is that in the story of the Exodus, we recognize that it is a very real people group that were going through a place where they were in bondage, and the Lord was leading them out of that bondage into a place of freedom. But what we also then begin to recognize is that it was not just the story of the Israelites that we can begin to see out of what God was doing with their life. We begin to zoom out and begin to see how does God care about his people and the things that he's doing and how does God also lead us in the midst of challenging situations. Let me take a poll real quick. How many of you this week have had a challenging situation? Amen. Some of you have some really good lives, and some of you probably don't have children. And so you know that if you have children, any day can bound to be a challenging situation. But what you recognize is that in the midst of it all, God is leading us, and God has never forsaken us. You know, I, I, one of the things that I love is, is thinking about what I call axioms or truths about God. And one thing that I know to be true and that has been demonstrated over time is that God is forever faithful and that whenever God, you know, nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now, the challenge is we live in a world where we're surprised every day. There are things that we did not anticipate. There are things that we did not foreshadow. There are things that we could not have planned or would not have planned. But nothing takes God by surprise. Now, the reason why that is important is because as the word of God speaks, it teaches us about the character and the nature of God. And as we learn the character and the nature of God, when we're in a situation where something is taking us by surprise, but we know that God is not surprised, if we know the character and the nature of God, it causes us to not freak out. It causes us to not lose heart. It causes us to be steadfast and to be unashamed in what the Lord is going to do in the midst of our situation. And that is why we study the word of God, because it reveals to us God's heart and his nature. The Bible is the word of God, which tells us about God. He is the central character throughout the scriptures. And one of the things that I think about is that uh, if you grew up in Sunday school, you think about, you know, the Old Testament picture of God and the New Testament picture of God. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in the Old Testament picture of God where it was thinking about, oh, man, someone touches the cart the wrong way and they die, you know, and, uh, or God just, you know, God just sends plagues. And so the image in my mind of the Old Testament God is the God of vengeance 
and destruction. And, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, I kind of had that relationship with my parents where they like to kind of instill the, you know, the wrath of God. So that was their way, that was their way of parenting. And that, that was old school parenting. Some of you guys can identify with some old school parenting where, where they, they helped to make sure that you knew and understood the wrath of God. Now, I, I'll tell you something. I, I mean, it wasn't always pleasurable, but the wrath of God kept me out of trouble. <laughs> thinking about the wrath of God, thinking about, I mean, I would just be like frozen in my sin, like, oh, God's going to get me. And, and it would keep me from doing things that I didn't need to do. But then we came to the New Testament picture of God. And, and, and I, I, a lot of us in the New Testament picture of God, we think of the loving God who's so graceful. He loves us. I mean, you think of just, you know, the Jesus just, you know, singing and happy and loving everybody. And, and, and one of the things that we think about in the New Testament is we think about grace. And thank God for grace. Because we know that in the, in the New Testament, Christ goes to the cross and pays the penalty for all of our sins. And so as a result of that, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. And so there is an abundance of grace. We know the song where it says that if grace is like an ocean, I'm sinking in it. And, and the beauty of recognizing God's grace there. But one of the things that I enjoy is that when we take a look in the Old Testament, we'll recognize that the God of grace is not just a New Testament picture of God. But it is also... In the Old Testament, throughout the character and the nature of God, and the story of the Exodus is a story rooted in grace. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say grace. We all need grace. Thank God for grace. And one of the things that I'm so appreciative of is that God in his infinite wisdom is a graceful God. And the, the grace is pictured in this meta-narrative and that in God, in his character and nature, he epitomizes the heart of a good father. You see, as a father, even when you discipline your child or get frustrated with your child, there is something that moves a father when they hear of their child crying or in need. What kind of father, even when your child may have done things that you have not appreciated or have gone outside of the direction where you've asked them to go, when a child hears, when a father, excuse me, hears the cry of a child, all that is put to the side, and a loving father comes in and says, what's the matter? What do you need? And attends to that need. What we begin to see in the story of the Exodus is that God is a God who hears our cries and our petitions and even in the midst of everything that is going on around us, his ears are attentive, just like you just heard a baby crying right now in the midst of it. I, I mean, it's amazing because I can, I've learned, you know, we've got three kids, and I've learned how to tune out crying. Uh, parents, they'll tell you there's a supernatural skill that you, you get that, that you know how to tune out fake cries, 
it's the cries and the tears. And I, I, my, my, my three-year-old, I mean, he has perfected. I, 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 I want to give him an Oscar sometimes and say, bravo, that was, that was amazing. But there is something when I hear a cry or a wail, when you can hear the pain that is coming through and you begin to instantly switch and say, I, I recognize that cry. And as a father, my ear is attuned that even in the midst of the chaos, I can hear my child's cry and say, me as my father, I will rush to my child to help him in that time of need. So the story of Exodus reminds us that God is always listening. He's always listening. Now, the challenge with that is that there is a nuance to that because God is always listening, but what we recognize is that God's way of deliverance is not always the most direct, most simplest way, but it is God's way, and God is working on our behalf even when we don't always perceive what God is up to. Let me bring that home. God's way of what he's going to do for the life of High Rock Brookline and Mars Hill Fellowship Church. He is listening to our cries and our petitions. But his way may not always be our way, and his method may not always be our method, and it may not seem like the most simplest, most direct, but you ought to know that God is up to something, and he is working on our behalf even when we don't perceive it. I want you to think about this. We're going to go over the life of Moses, who was the deliverer. He was, he was the deliverer that God used to bring out the people of Israel out of their place of bondage. Uh, what you'll recognize is that Moses' life is kind of divided up into a series of 40 years. 40 years as a prince who is in Egypt. 40 years where he is then with his people and he is uh, out uh, with the Hebrews, Israelites. And then 40 years where he is in the wilderness. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. The first time that Moses goes in front of Pharaoh. And what does he say to Pharaoh? All right, a few of you guys were in Sunday school. Come on, all right, so listen. So what does he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. Do you know how old he was? That's right. 80 years old. Now, I want you to think about this. God, in his infinite wisdom, rewind that all the way back, 80 years, rewind it back. God hears the cries of his people and he says, I'm going to bring into this world a little child who's going to grow up who I'm going to place into situations, who's going to be strategically in place so that 80 years later, 
He will be the one to lead the people, the children of Israel, into a place where he will lead them out of bondage into the promised land. Now, for me, that is amazing because I can't even think about three-year, five-year plan and getting that into sequence. But 80 years, infinity, God is placing into order and sequencing all the things that need to happen so that his will will be done right on time and right when it needs to be. Now, some of us may say, well, 80 years, couldn't have God just rose up someone who was in Israel and just done it quicker? Well, he could have, but that was not God's plan. And what we recognize is that if we trust God's plan, we'll also receive the blessing that comes out of what God has placed in store. Now, Last week, we, store, we, we examined the story of grace through the narrative of Moses' birth. So we recognize that he's, he's God calls and, and, and births, and God shows grace to Moses' parents by allowing them to give birth to a healthy son during a time of infanticide. They were killing all the babies, but yet God had a way to spare Moses. Now, God also showed grace to the two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, as they defied an unjust edict and allowed Moses to live. God also showed grace to Moses through a seemingly risky choice by his parents to leave him to be found by Pharaoh's daughter, but to be strategically placed right where God wanted them to be. From a parent's perspective, how responsible does it seem to leave your child in a basket in a river? I know we've got some people working for Child Protective Services here, uh, uh, all whatever the Massachusetts DFS, uh, uh, um, but you'll recognize that most likely you would have opened a case. But in the midst of it, God was strategically doing something. He wasn't abandoned. He was strategically placed. I mean, the wisdom and the amazing thing of grace that God shows is also the fact that not only does this young man live, but God also arranges it so that Pharaoh's daughter who sees this baby pays the mother to we to feed him and, and and to nurse him i mean come on can you can you see that god is working something bigger than even they could have imagined and so when we begin to look at all that what we see was that god was gracefully working on their behalf. And as we pick up the story in chapter two, we discover another element of God's grace in the story of Exodus. God's grace to sustain us and to cover our mistakes. See, a lot of times we think about, and, and, and some of you may have, have been taught, you know, God's perfect will, his permissive will. And, and, and in these things, we think about the opportunities of how God works when we obey his instructions and do exactly what he told us to do. But I'm so glad that God works not only when I've done it all right, but I'm glad that God works even when I've messed everything 
up. Come on. I don't know if you can be bold enough to be honest to say, you know what? God has told me to do some things, and I've totally either messed it up. I've I've gone astray. I've said, not right now, God. I've, I've got other things to work on. I've got other things to focus on. There have been times where I can honestly say, I have said, God, uh, that, that doesn't resonate with me right now. So we'll get back to that a little bit later. And yet in the midst of those situations, God still showed me grace. And he showed grace even to the people of Israelite and especially Moses, even when he didn't follow all of God's instructions. What we begin to see here in chapter 2 is that even though Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, Moses knew he was a stranger in an Egyptian household, and he knew his Hebrew background. So God allows him to be able to be raised up in the best of the Egyptian schools. In Acts, it tells us that Moses was learned, and he grew in the stature and knowledge. And so I anticipate that Moses was an A-plus student. I mean, we, we don't have it here in the expounding in Exodus, but it tells us that Moses got the best of the best education. Now, here it is, a Hebrew Israelite who has now been called into this place. He's in Pharaoh's household. He's in a place of royalty, and God is strategically allowing him to be educated. But one One of the things was that he knew from which he came from. Hebrews tells us that there was a faith action that Moses did. Around 40 years, Moses, by faith, the word of God says in Hebrews, by faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. If any one of you were in the White House working, you had royalty, security detail, secret service all around you. You had the ability to get whatever resources and finances that you wanted. You had someone cooking for you every day. They would go out to, uh, well, I don't know, Charles River, but they'd go out to, you know, to to somewhere to get some lobster every day, freshly caught, and they would come and feed you. They would, I mean, you were royalty, and in the midst of all of that, would you choose to say, I'll give up all of that, or I'll enjoy it? Hebrews says, by faith, Moses chose. I want all of us to know that in the season of discernment, there are choices that we will have to make, and there are choices that we make only by faith. Because if we were making them in our own strength, they would not make sense. They would not allow us to, they wouldn't, they wouldn't compute with how we would see that life would be, do, or be able to be done. But Moses chose by faith when he had grown up to be refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. So what happened? The word of God tells us that Moses went from the palace to be amongst his people. Now, here's the thing, is that injustice is insidious. It eats at us when we recognize injustice, and it can often trigger our fight-or-flight mechanism. In, in, in Exodus chapter number 2, verse 21, it says that Moses saw how hard they were forced to work, and something rose up inside of him. Now, 
One of the things I always talk about is paying attention to the the spiritual urges that God gives us. Now, one of the things we have to learn is that as we get those spiritual urges, is learning how to express them in a healthy way, but paying attention to what God gives us Because oftentimes, they give us clues as to where God is leading us. And here, Moses had a spiritual urge that when he saw injustice, he just could not bear to see injustice happening around him. And so when that happened, uh, we recognize that in that, Moses had a response, and it was a visceral response to injustice taking place. Now, the challenge with that is some Sometimes our response to injustice can cause us to be so quick to action that we miss out on what God is doing in the midst of the situation. You remember the story in the New Testament when Jesus is out there and Judas is about to betray him? You remember what happened is that they come and and, and they're there in, in Luke 22. They're about to arrest him. And immediately some of Jesus' followers saw what was happening. And you know uh, 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 what happens is that they cut off the the ear of one of the man's, uh, one of the servants of the high priest. And so we recognize in the midst of situation, Jesus said this, listen, do I need to come by sword or spear? He says, if that was what I needed, I would call an army or a legion of angels to come and do it. He says, listen, sometimes your impulsiveness to act can cause you to be outside of the will of God. But If you see injustice and you begin to ask, Lord, how do I speak to this? How do I begin to work towards this? God will give us insight and direction, and he'll begin to allow us to strategically be in place so that we will be an answer to the challenges of this world. And the distinction is that speaking out against injustice is always right, but sometimes our anger against injustice causes us to fight with tactics that don't win the war. And we have to be willing to ask God, how do we respond to this injustice? For Moses, he responded in a way that was not God's will. We see here in the text, what happens is that Moses, he sees a a Hebrew man who is being uh, overrun by an Egyptian. And it says, uh, as he begins to look at the situation, he began to look all around him and see if anyone was watching. And then... He beat up and killed the Egyptian. Now, what happened was the next day, as Moses is going through another situation, he sees another argument, and as he goes to intervene in the argument, some of the Hebrews say, what are you going to do to us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses was like, how did you know? See, Moses thought he was going to deliver his people by fighting one by one. But God was going to use a different way of deliverance to bring the people of Israel out of a place of bondage. In verse 15, Moses gets afraid because he looks at the situation. He says, everyone will know what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he, be, he tried to kill Moses. Now, you would think that in the midst of this, Moses done messed up. Can I use common vernacular? Moses, Moses messed up. You messed up, bro. You missed the mark. 
And now he has a target on his back. Now, if I was orchestrating things, I'd say, well, how can God ever use him again now? But God will say, I know just the way to use even your mistakes for the glory of God. It happens so that in the midst of this situation, while Moses has a target on his back, God calls Moses to flee to a place called Midian. And in this, as he's fleeing to the land of Midian, what happens is that some would say this is an unnecessary step. But I would say this was an expression of God's grace. Sometimes God's grace is to get you out of the situation and hide you away to some of your things that maybe the mistakes that you made and the things. Sometimes God will pull you out of situations. He'll pull you out of places, and you think of it or look at it and say, Lord, this is an inconvenience or an unnecessary step. And God will say, this is my divine providence and divine protection, getting you out of the situation. And it so happens that as the Lord leads Moses out of Egypt, out of the palace, into the place of Midian, into the place where he now begins to lead a life as a shepherd. It is amazing because in that season, God allows the kindness of Moses to allow Moses to find a wife. God, uh, he gets a wife, Zipporah, and they have a son together, uh, a son. And out of this season, he lives a life as a shepherd. And But in that midst of it, you would say, well, God is just, you know, allowing him to sit on the side. But no, God is training him up. And some of the things that we don't recognize is the seasons that God allows us to go through. And in some seasons, God will give you palace seasons where it seems that everybody is coming and serving you on a royal plate. But sometimes you'll be in what I call wilderness seasons. And the thing about wilderness seasons is that wilderness seasons, even though they are lonely at times, they are what I call character building seasons. How many of you have gone through character building seasons? Come on, if you're married, raise up your hand. You've gone through some character building seasons. You you know what it's like to build character, and you've got a spouse or someone who's helped challenge you. I love what the Word of God says, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. There are some things that will only be shaped and formed in the place of the wilderness. There are some things that will only happen when the lead pastor of a church obeys God, and now there's a challenge of what is the next step for our church. There are some things that will only happen when you've got a, you're forced to say, God, we don't have an answer. We don't know what to do. And the only thing we can do is to call upon your name and say, Lord, will you lead us? In a foreign land where Moses is, God allows all these things to pass away. Forty years that he is there, he gives his birth to his son, and then it brings us to verse 23. Years passed and the king died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. 
They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. I can imagine that while the deliverer is in a place of wilderness, the people of God were saying, God, don't you hear me? Their cries were rising up. God, don't you know that we've got to get an answer for what we're going to do after Josh leaves? God, don't you know we've got to understand what's the direction of the church? What's the direction of High Rock? What are we going to do as a body, as a community of believers? But do you know that while their cries and their groans were going up, the, the Israelites, their cries and their groans, God was already raising and training strategically, placing a deliverer there that he was going to use in the right time, in the right season, and to be able to move in the midst of the situation. And the hope was not in Moses. The hope was in the God of Moses who looked at every situation and says, I am fully in control. And so in the midst of it, as you cry out, cry out from the depths of your heart, but cry out with knowledge that I, the Lord your God, am hearing your cries. And just like a father who is attuned to the cries of their child, I hear your voice. And what we see in the scripture is that it says that God heard their groaning. Come on, someone needs to hear that this morning morning. God heard their groaning. Now, I, I don't think it was a pejorative that they were groaning and mumbling, but I think it was a cry that was a cry of desperation. And I don't know about you, but there are situations where I'm thankful that God led me to a place where I had no other option but to say, Lord, I am desperate. I need to hear your voice this morning. I need to hear where you are leading us. And in their desperation, God heard their groaning. And as he heard their groaning, he remembered the covenant promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down upon the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. We reach the climax of this story as we close out and here in the divine encounter in chapter number three. In the midst of his duties as a shepherd, Moses is oblivious to what God is going to do, probably forgetting about the pain of all that has gone by. Forty years he has been in the wilderness. Forty years he's been away from sitting in the pain and in the injustice. And in the midst of it, he's out in the wilderness. And as he's in the midst of the wilderness, Moses comes upon to a bush. That is burning, but it is not consumed. The first thing that drew in Moses was an angel of the Lord appearing to him from the middle of the bush. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This miracle piqued Moses' interest. How could a bush be on fire but not burn up? Moses was curious as to how this was happening. But in reality, God wanted to invite Moses to be a part of the miracle that was taking place. Moses looked at amazement and astonishment and saw a bush that was not consumed. And as he began to step towards that bush, the Lord says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes 
for the place you are standing is holy ground. What was happening? He was inviting Moses to enter in, not to be a spectator to what God was doing, but he was inviting him to enter in and be a part of what God was doing. I love that the Lord has spoken to the leadership of our churches about the priesthood of all believers. You know why? Because I believe that in what God is doing in this season, it's not that we're going to stand back in foreign committees and, and look back and say, well, I wonder what they're going to do and what's going to happen. But God is inviting us to be a part of the work of the church. He's inviting us not to stand behind and just say, wow, that's amazing. I, I hope we get a, a really good charismatic, I mean, you know, Josh is hard to replicate, but I hope we get another, you know, good Josh, you know, like another good energetic, you know, and I, I hope we get another one of those. He say, uh, and, and we may, whatever the Lord does, but he saying, instead of putting your hope in another man, will you begin to step in and be a part of what God is doing in the work of the church and the things that he, God has called him to do? Because the recognition is that there is a dying world that is out there. And he is looking for his church to be a light, a beacon of hope. There are places that I or, or Josh or Yumi or John will never be able to go into, but you'll be right there and you will be the priest. You will be the apostle. You will be the pastor. What will lead people to the knowledge of God. And it'll be because you've been equipped with the word of God and God has sent you out to be a witness for him. And so he invites Moses in and and he says, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. And then he begins to invite him in here. And when Moses begins to uh, look at that, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. God's grace was declared in verse 7. When God says, I've heard the cries of my people, and this is my plan. I have certainly seen the oppression. I've heard their cries. I'm aware of their suffering. And then verse 8 says this, so I have come. I've heard the cries. I've heard, seen the oppression. I'm aware of their suffering, so I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Most, God then commissions Moses at that place of the burning bush, and this was the commission that he gave. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. The final act of grace that we see in this passage is that God's affirmation of our worthiness, even when we think we're not ready or worthy for the task. Some of us, the thought of losing or challenge or transition in a church seems daunting. And sometimes it seems like we can't handle that type of change. But God in his grace reminds us that the power doesn't reside within us, but is the God who is with us who says, I will be with you 
and this will be the sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Worship team, will you come up? The answer to Moses' inquiry wasn't to tell Moses how strong and great he was. It was to affirm to them that the Lord would be with them. High Rock and Mars Hill, one thing I can learn from the story of Moses, I can't promise you what will happen in three months, six months. I can't promise you what it will look like in those seasons. But what I can promise you in our time of discernment, in our time of seeking God, that the promise that he gave to Moses is the same promise that we can take today. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be with us. No matter what is in front of us, no matter what is behind us, no matter what takes us by surprise or that we had planned for, God is with us. Come on, just, just whisper that to your neighbor. Just tell him, God is with us. What does that mean? It means that if God is with us, that we don't have to be afraid. It means we can cry out to him and say, God, will you speak to us? But we don't cry out as those without hope. But we cry out as those who have a living hope and a living answer who speak to us. Are we listening? Are our ears open? God is with us and he'll speak to us. Let's respond in song this morning.